As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello, welcome to The Phil Hay Show. It's brought to you with The Athletic and The Square Ball. Dan Moylan with you from The Square Ball in our studio just off Gelder Road and from Hay Towers. Phil Hay is here from The Athletic as well. Good morning, Phil. You're right. Yes, I'm very well. Thanks to you. I am safely back from Croydon than you are. We'll get into all that in just a minute. Quick reminder that you can subscribe to The Athletic to read everything that Phil has written about Leeds United. Get involved in all the discussion as well. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Uh, pound a month for six months. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Twice a week we are now and uh, on a Monday, that is today, we will debrief the weekend's game that has just gone. And in this case, it's Palace 2, Leeds 1, and a, and a pretty toothless performance from Leeds United in that second half, Phil. How do you feel now you've slept on it? It's become a slightly concerning period of form, this, and it was hard yesterday not to reflect on how long it feels since the Chelsea game at Ellen Road. I mean, it, it is quite a long period of time because of the gap that we had for the Queen's death and, and the Queen's funeral. But I think um, emotionally, it seems like a long time since we were coming out of Ellen Road feeling like there'd been finally this transition from Bielsa to Marsh um, in a way that was really making the crowd buy into him, making the crowd warm to him. And if you think back to that result now, it felt like a result that was going to open the way for for a pretty strong run of form, a decent run of form that was going to put Leeds in a good position. And and it hasn't worked like that. It's two points from five. And I think two points from five games, which should have yielded a, a substantial number of points more than that. Marsh said that after the game yesterday. He said, I, I don't feel like we've played as badly as two points from five, but those are the results. That's the form. It's Arsenal at home next. On the, the other side of that, two increasingly big games, I feel, against Leicester away and then Fulham at home. And I think still the question of when this is going to click consistently, tactically, and in terms of personnel as well, you said toothless in the second half yesterday, and it was toothless in the second half. There was actually some very good football played in the first half, and Leeds really had Palace exactly where they wanted them at one when they were 1-0 up 20, 25 minutes into the game. But I did feel that from the point where Palace equalised, it started to feel like a bit of a slow slide towards defeat. And it started to feel, particularly at half-time, like a game you'd seen before, a game that Leeds should have had in hand, a game where Leeds could have been more than 1-0 up and certainly should have been in a better, better position than one all as it was after 45 minutes. And I said to my Palace colleague um, at half time, 
I think Leeds will lose this. I think this is one of those games that, as I say, kind of got experience of. And I think having been in such a good position and let it slip, um, I think ultimately this will go Palace's way. What was it that gave you that feeling? I think it was the way in which they'd started so strongly, looked so good. They'd made Palace wobble at the back. Palace looked a little bit rattled to begin with. There were some pretty some pretty bad errors, some play that was really inviting Leeds onto them. And, and I thought Leeds' positioning was good. I thought the pressing was good. And it did kind of capture something which is true about this squad, which is that when it does click, when the pressing works, when ind- individuals shine and when the shape holds, they, they can look like an attractive team and they can look like a, a good side. But you felt it fading, I thought, um, from the, the Palace goal, the first goal onwards, the header from Edouard, which was simple and you know, cheap free kick given away, nobody marking him in the box. It was like a lot of hard work undone. And you didn't feel as if by half-time Leeds had, had really retrieved the game properly, that they'd got back on top, that they'd start to dominate again. And I just wasn't convinced at half-time that, that after the break and that once they got into the second half, that Palace weren't going to play slightly better, that Vieira might not change things that it might not switch around and, and alter the balance of it. And I think it's probably fair to say that once Leeds lost the grip on that, once they lost the impetus that they had early on, it never really returned. And it did me it did leave them exposed um, in a second half where it did feel, I felt, as if the second goal was going to win it. That second half was very reminiscent of the game there last year, wasn't it? Where just nothing really happened from a Leeds perspective. Yeah, it was funny because at 1-0, I was thinking to myself, you know, there was the debate after the 0-0 draw there in April last season about whether or not that constituted a good point or a bad point. And I think all of us felt that Leeds could have gone there and been more ambitious last season, which they certainly were yesterday. I think in the end, though, you know, had Leeds held on for a point yesterday and had it finished 1-0, you would have said that the point there last season was a much bigger reward for a worse performance. In, in spells, they play much better yesterday and, and put Palace under far more pressure than Palace were under when they met back in April. But you're right, the, the second half kind of hit a wall and, and ground to a halt. And again, it wasn't as if Leeds were unduly negative and it wasn't as if they didn't have good positions on the pitch. It wasn't as if they weren't in good positions to attack Palace. But there was no, there was nothing at the end of it. There wasn't enough in the way of killer balls. There weren't final balls that looked like it was going to make anything of the, the, the kind of approach play that had put Leeds in a, a position to strike. And it's a it's a defeat, I think. It's a, a poor result and a defeat that worries you slightly because it is a while since the last win now. It does feel like a long time since the Chelsea game. It isn't flowing fluently for Marsh in the sense that every time the team go out, he knows exactly what he's going to get and he knows that it's going to work for him. It still feels fairly hit and miss to me. And he said after the game, I asked him, you know, how, how important is it that this, this run without a win doesn't set in now, you know, and, and doesn't become kind of sustained spell where where it starts to become urgent that you do get a win on the board. And he said, no, that that is the case. You know, as as much as he thinks that they deserve more points from these last five games, I think he can see himself that they're under a little bit of pressure at the moment. Do you agree that Marsh seems to be able to identify what the problems are and yet we're not really seeing it translate into changes on the pitch? You know, we're not seeing the players create chances or do the things that would unlock the opposition defence. Just... It doesn't seem to be transmitting from from managers to players. I had a look at the attacking stats this morning. I went through them because I came away from Palace and one of the questions I was going to ask him yesterday, although he preempted this by by mentioning it himself in his very first answer at the post-match press conference, was do they score enough goals? Are they creative? And and he said, you know, I I don't feel we do score enough. And by virtue of that, by extension of it, you would think that, that they're not a creative team. 
the stats are actually quite middling with Leeds. You know, if you go through expected goals or shots on target, shots on goal, it, it drops them largely in the middle of the field. But it does feel to me as if the chances for Leeds and the spells of, of pressure are going to come in bursts, are come, going to come in phases, potentially in quite small phases. And when that happens, they're either going to have to take advantage of them or they're, they're going to suffer. And I think you saw that yesterday. There was a spell of the game where they could almost have won it in that period early on. There was the chance for Bamford at 1-0, um, which was a very, very good one. I think at 2-0, Palace have a long way back and, and are not in good enough form themselves to feel confident of, of turning that on their head. But then by the end of the game, it feels like a long time since Leeds were dominant and it feels like a long time since Palace were on the ropes and, and from the point where you looked like you were looking at a, an away win. My feeling with Marsh is that when it comes to his plan, he's very clear in his head about how he wants the team to play, what the, the tactical basis of it is, the, the pressing, the vertical passing, the, the, the attempt to produce quick transitions that turn over the ball and get your chances as rapidly as you can deliver it. I think when it comes to putting the team out on the pitch, you start and live in, he seems to be able to have that in mind. I, I didn't feel yesterday that the changes did anything positive, the substitutions in the second half. I wasn't convinced that it wouldn't have been a bad idea to have Joe Gilhart on earlier. I think Bamford's race was run. You know, I did think he was he was dropping out of the game and a change needed to be made there. But I didn't think some of it was hugely effective when he came on. I thought Aronson coming off the pitch took out a player who is probably as likely as anybody else, barring Jack Harrison, to create in the final third. And that is probably where Marsh is suffering slightly at the moment is the game management. You know, we, we did see it at Southampton in the first month of the season, the kind of reluctance to change when it needed to be changed. I think yesterday when it needed to be changed, and it did because Palace was starting to get on top um, when Bamford came off the first sub on 62 minutes. I don't think the changes were anywhere near effective enough and I don't think it swung the balance towards Leeds. If we're not creating enough chances, then how do you respond to something that a number of people noticed, which was, if you, if you watch Christensen, he was asking uh, if he could go forward and go beyond Wilfred Zaha, but he was instructed by Marsh not to. So is that a case of trying to contain the opposition or is it a case of you know trying to win the game? Or, you know, what, what's the thinking there behind that? I think that's a case of trying to contain a, a very specific player. Christensen did a really good job on Zaha yesterday. Zaha did come into the game towards the, the end of it, but that felt like one of the, the key battles, the, the areas where if Leeds and Christensen came off second best, they were liable to lose, which which obviously they did. But, I mean, we hardly saw a sniff from Zaha in the first half. And I think there are occasions, we may well see this with Haaland when, when Man City come to Telling Road in December, there are occasions where you do have to think specifically about individuals and you do have to think specifically about tying down one person if you can. That was probably Christensen's best game defensively yesterday. But again, to, to look at his stats and his performances when he played for Salzburg in Austria, and it is a different league and it's a lower level of league, so you have to accept that there's a, a kind of Premier League tax in there, there's an adjustment coming to this division. But he was a player who got forward a lot. He was a player who was a good attacking outlet for Salzburg and was very good at overlapping, underlapping, at reading the sort of passes that players like Rocker and others, and, and Aronson when he goes central, will look for um, in the, the slightly wider areas. It wasn't really his game to do that yesterday and he wasn't able to. And I don't think you can pin, I don't think you can look at that in isolation yesterday and pin that to Marsh and say it's negative or, or you know, they're, they're not being ambitious enough. I think that was a ploy as much as anything to make sure that Zaha wasn't able to run right down the left. And if I'm being honest, I don't think I don't think Leeds were particularly negative yesterday. There was a lot of discussion after the Villa game about 
the tendency that we've seen at Ellen Road to time visiting teams to time waste to avoid you know going toe to toe. I think leads to their credit went to Palace and, and tried to play, but the problem is that they've they've come away from nothing. And the, the conclusion you kind of draw is that yes, you can talk about style and you can talk about entertainment. And Marsh spoke on Friday about wanting people to have fun watching Leeds football, but there are different ways to win, um, whether you like it or not. And in the end, you have to find a way to win at some stage. And I think Leeds are in that position at the moment. I think they have to find their own way. They have to make this happen. And it has to happen sooner rather than later. Just returning to the to the Christensen discussion though, Phil, if you're looking to win games and you're playing with so little width, but then you don't let your fullback get up the pitch, then how do you hope or expect to win games like that? Tight games where you, know, you can see from looking at the table how valuable a win is in the Premier League. But again, I would say that if if you look to the parts of the game where Leeds played best, the setup and the system wasn't a, wasn't a problem. The, the the issue was the inability to sustain it, and I think as well almost the inability to clear the heads after the Palace equaliser and to to redre- like the the balance of the game just seemed to swing at that point, and not as dramatically as it did at points in the second half. I think Palace started to have the best period from kind of 50, 50 minutes onwards. But you didn't feel at the end of the first half that you were you were sensing the same dominance from Leeds that had been there for the first 20, 25 minutes. And as I say, I, I understand the tactical approach with Christensen that you, you've got to be mindful of what um, Zaha is doing. But when it comes to you know width and everything else, there just isn't really width in this team. It just isn't the way they, they play. They're not high on crosses. They don't dominate the, the flanks in the way that they used to um, when Bielsa was head coach. I feel, and I, you know, the, the, the stats do bear this out, that, that Harrison is probably the most industrious player when it comes to creating chances and, and going forward. But it feels to me like there's almost a bit of an imbalance in the team and that so much does seem to go out left. That's certainly how it feels to me. And I feel as if you've got a player that you're going to pick every week on the left, Harrison. Uh, Harrison but on the right-hand side, it is more interchangeable and leads don't seem to flow as much um, in that area. So perhaps you're right. You know, perhaps if you're letting Christensen loose, you start to be more dangerous or you start to have a bit more potency on either side. But the the reality with this Leeds team is that they're not really looking for width because that isn't part of the ploy. It goes back to risk versus reward, doesn't it, I guess? Um, uh, Just on the the sort of theme of your match report, which is on the Athletic site, by the way, which is Leeds need to find a way to win because it's not working at the minute. Is is that not just a euphemism for they need to change tactics? Or what else do you mean? I think this might lead us into the discussion about plan B, which I, I think is fair to have. And I know we had this under Marsh's predecessor, Constantly. Um, I think the difference with Bielsa was that his football found a way of working more often than not. And obviously it did grind to a halt in the end, but that does happen to most managers eventually. For the large part of his time as head coach, you know, it worked and and plan A was successful. I think yesterday was a, a really good example of an occasion where a team have shown the limits of Marsh's system or have found the limits of Marsh's system and have managed to stop Leeds playing as they were initially. And that's when you look for the changes. And there were changes for the from the bench, but I don't think they fundamentally changed the impact that Leeds were having on the game. And I think that that is... Two things sprung to mind yesterday. The first is how important it's going to be for Leeds to capitalise on the periods of games where they're dominant and where they do have opportunities. And, and those periods could be quite short. And if they don't, they're going to suffer because of it. But the second thing, and, you know, there's a kind of extension of what we're talking about after Villa as well, the, the fact that, if you do have sides who come and waste time and, and want to delay the game, want to interrupt the game, what do you do? You know, how do you make it different? How do you adapt? Say in the way that Palace did yesterday when, as Marsh commented on, they, they started to try and turn leads a bit more. They started to put the ball in behind leads 
um, a bit more, just to give themselves some field position to stop themselves getting dominated in, in quite the same way. I didn't feel like the tactical changes were there in a way which worked yesterday. Um, it didn't feel as if there was a switch to plan B which really gave Palace something else to think about. And that is probably something that, that they need to work on and, and needs to change. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. In terms of scoring those goals then, Phil, do Leeds have a bit of an issue at number nine now? Are we are we lacking something up front? Because uh, Bamford's still on his way back, looked every bit a guy who's been out for a long time there yesterday. Of course I do. Um, I feel like this is probably going to come to dominate most of the season. Probably in the way that talking about the absence of a midfielder last season, a centre mid dominated a lot of the discussion about, about Bielsa's final year. To go back to our discussion on Thursday about the centre-forwards and, and what's going on there, and, and I guess the, the absence at the moment of a really strong established pecking order in that position, I think yesterday proved that when Marsh has everybody available to him, Bamford is the, the player who he wants to, to play up front. But Bamford quite clearly is not 100% sharp. And we're two months into the season and we're, we're still discussing this. I think the concerns that a lot of us had in the transfer window about whether Leeds would have enough goals in them, whether they had a centre-forward who could carry them up front for most of the season, I, I think it's still there. I, I saw some griping afterwards about the fact that Nonto hadn't been used and people saying, it's an Italy international, you know, why aren't we putting him on the pitch? He is an Italy international, but this is still the player who, when he was signed in August, most of us said, that's not necessarily adequate for what you need in the Premier League. He needs to be tried and he needs to be tested. But the Premier League isn't a division that's particularly forgiving when it comes to using untried and untested players. And to an extent, I think we're seeing that with Somerville as well. I hear a lot of people say at Leeds that, you know, in the 21s in training, everything else, Somerville is one of the most impressive players, hence why he's moved up, up the order. But the ability to make an impact in games is a challenge for him still. And I think that was the case yesterday. I don't think he thrived when he came on. I don't think he, he particularly changed anything significantly. So yes, there is an, an option up front, uh, an, an issue up front, sorry. I, I think the team is still very much reliant on having a fully fit Bamford there, but they don't have a fully fit Bamford or a, a fully 100% match sharp Bamford. And, and in the absence of it, it feels like they're on rotate. Shall we just rehash that conversation for left back as well? And this is no um, judgment on Pascal Strauch, yesterday's goal scorer, by the way. Uh, it's just uh, more of a, a comment on the, the absence of Junior Firpo with injury again. I mean, who could have seen that coming, Phil? Hey? Well, I'm told that he's got a slight thigh problem. I think as it stands at the moment, it's hard to see him shifting strike from the team. I think strike has, has done enough to keep himself there. But it seems to me that at some point they're going to have to bite the bullet at left back and sign somebody else. It doesn't necessarily need to be somebody vastly experienced. It could be a project of sorts, provided that you feel 
confident enough to play them in, in first team games. But Furpo almost falls into the category of Bamford at the moment. That there's the the conversation constantly about how it could be or what it's going to look like when you've got Furpo in the team and when he has a run of games and when he's fully fit and everything else. But getting to that point has been a huge challenge, stroke impossible. And he's another player who hasn't played much in his time at Leeds or hasn't played enough, didn't have a pre-season, hasn't really been involved since the season started, um, injured the game this, um, this week, unavailable down at Palace, um, or at least not in a position where Leeds wanted to take a risk on him. And you see it so many times, and I've seen it so many times over the years, how difficult it is for players to find rhythm and to get into form when they have missed a lot of time and when they have been out and, and when they haven't. You know, I think of all the players in the squad, there was probably nobody or very few players who needed a really good, strong pre-season more than football. And it wasn't there. He isn't here as it stands. You know, um, it is strike at left back. I'm with you. I, I don't. I wouldn't criticise Strike's performance yesterday. I actually think he's done pretty well through the season given that he's out of position but surely if the team's going to have the balance that it wants and you know optimum balance then an out and out left back is what you want in that position when you talk about bringing in a left back who's a, who's a project of sorts is that not the problem though we were saying that just be- just a couple of minutes ago really weren't we that um, Leeds have got too many players who they're trying to work into being Premier League quality surely it's time we need to start buying players who are ready to just slot in there and make Junior Firpo compete for his place I think there's a definite argument with that. Yeah, no, I, I think so. And I think that applies up front as well. Um, I like Gilhart. Um, I think there are things to things to be optimistic about with Nonto, but you are still talking about two very young guys. And that's in a pool of players where you have Rodrigo, who still has never really settled into this team in a way where you know that is his position, that way, that's where he, he should play. I think he should play up front. I think he's he's a nine at heart more than anything. But I don't think he's necessarily the mould of nine that you would want in this team. I think him and Bamford are slightly different. And I think Bamford at full tilt probably suits it more. But you're right. If you don't have a reliable centre-forward there in the way that you don't have a dependable out-and-out left-back, then yeah. I mean, the answer to that is going to the transfer market, saying somebody who is. What did you make of Cooper's performance yesterday? Not great. Um, it was... I don't mean not great over the, the 90 minutes, but the you know there was the the free kick given away for Palace's goal and then the absence of marking for Eduard's header, which was just too easy from, from close range. And then for for Eze's winning goal, committing to that challenge in a way that let Eze um, step to the right and shoot. Again, the, the problem wasn't purely down to, to Cooper in that instance. It was the interplay roundabout and um, the way in which Palace were able to open up that space. But I think what we're seeing at the moment is you've got a a stable option on the right-hand side and Robin Koch, who I think's had a, a good season so far. But less so on the left-hand side, you know, Llorente had his, his day down at Brentford. Cooper again missed a lot of the summer. Um, and I think if you were wanting him on the left-hand side, you would much rather that he'd have had a flow of games running into this. Again, it's it's a slight issue. And, and the bottom line is that, the you know, the back four, as Marsh would have it in his head, isn't there. You know, a fully, fully fit, ready to go back four isn't available to him and, and they are conceding. What do you think of the uh, the Decore incidents yesterday? Should he still have been on the pitch, do you think? I'm not convinced he should have been. I think that could easily have been a, a second yellow. I think that would have been much closer to a yellow card had he not been booked already. But you do run the risk and we find ourselves getting drawn into these discussions every single week, don't we? I I think personally he should have gone, but uh, I understand that in, on occasions that is the, the kind of tackle that you might be given the benefit of the doubt for, and that would have made a, a very big difference. And 
you know, the reason that that was happening and the reason Palace were getting drawn into those sort of situations was because Leeds had played well initially and, and they'd, they'd rattled Palace. Palace weren't seen enough of the ball. The midfield weren't able to dominate. They were having to stick a foot in like that. So, yeah, you know, that was a that was a, a key point in the game. And you could say, you know, it had a big impact on the outcome. But I think, you know, to repeat something Marsh has said himself a few times this season, yes, that would have helped without a doubt. But there were, there were ways in, in which Leeds kind of caused their own problems yesterday. Yeah, I don't think you could necessarily blame that for, for the shifting of the game. It's more a frustration based on what happened last week, which is something I mentioned in our post-match over on, uh, on the Match Ball, on the Square Ball podcast. It's when you hold it up to comparison with what happened when uh, when Sinistero was sent off. You just think, where, where's the consistency here? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. But you'll you'll have that have that all season. As I say, when I watched the the Kure second challenge back, it was messy. It was uncontrolled. It wasn't a good one. Um, I think it probably was a second booking. But as I say, there, there was kind of more to the game than that. And some slightly hair-raising news as well coming through when you were on the way back. The whole um, plane landing at Leeds Bradford Airport, smoking the uh, in the cockpit, reported an emergency situation was basically declared, but then it was dealt with. The plane landed safely, didn't it? Contain this is containing the players, and then it was closed um, in due course. But it's slightly worrying given what happened back at Stansted all those years back uh, years ago. Oh, I was just going to mention that. I mean, there is a big piece on the Athletic site about the Stansted plane crash, which was back in 1998 when Leeds were coming home from. Um, a game at West Ham, and that was a that was a really serious incident. You know, the um, the plane overshot the runway. There were you know the the, the players players and staff on the plane who genuinely worried for their safety, and rightly so. You know, it's a, a dangerous um, dangerous scenario that one. Uh, from what I'm told, I don't think it was anything like that at Leeds Bradford Airport. As they landed, there was a smell of burning. There was a smell of rubber. Um, the emergency protocol is to get fire trucks over straight away. There was a bus brought over quickly to take the players. Off, but they were all transported away from the plane. They were all home and safe um, in no time at all. I don't think anybody feels like, in hindsight, it was a particularly um, massive drama, but it definitely needed to be dealt with at the time. It's always a bit heavy the analysis in the wake of a defeat like this one, isn't it? There does tend to be this kind of this, this sort of hyper analysis, and people can get quite down in the dumps about it. Is there something we can be positive about from yesterday, and and how do we how do we take that forward into a game that's as difficult as Arsenal? Arsenal is going to be incredibly challenging uh, and incredibly tough and I don't think there's any chance at all that we're going to see the sort of game that we saw against Villa or Everton previously Arsenal are, I don't think unless I'm reading Arteta all wrong Arsenal are not going to come and play like that you know they're going to come and they're going to come and have a, a, a right go because they'll already be starting to smell I think I'd say the outside possibility of, of being in really, really strong contention for the title, it seems to me that City are set up too strongly um, for anybody else to intervene there. But Arsenal are on a, a real roll and look like a different animal this season, particularly having signed Jesus from City. He, he's kind of transformed what they've they've got up front. The best part of the game yesterday was the first half, and I think the, the, particularly the first 20, 25 minutes. And I do give Leeds credit for going to Palace and trying to play like that. They're not being defeatist, they're not being negative, they're not really going there looking for a point, I don't think. I, I think that would be unfair unfair to say that. I've just seen in the past that you've had managers with, with teams who have had kind of promising spells in games for, you know, match after match after match after match. And sometimes it doesn't marry up into complete performances. And if that goes on for too long, then then you have a problem. And I think Marshall already be thinking to himself that the performances do need to be more complete and the results do need to start coming you know, it really isn't that long now until we break for the World Cup. There are some critical games, I think, 
in there um, when it comes to Leeds positioning themselves strongly um, in time for the, the break. Probably none more so than Leicester and Fulham back to back. I think everybody will probably expect that Arsenal will be hard. Arsenal might well not deliver anything um, that particular match. So I don't think it's that there are no good players in the squad. I don't think there are no good aspects to the tactics. But I think it needs to be more complete. It 100% needs to be more ruthless at the points where Leeds can be more ruthless. And I think Marsh himself is going to have to demonstrate more the ability to change in games, the ability to change things when it's not happening. And one big positive, at least watching on the telly yesterday, was the sound of the fans. Did, did that come through in the stadium as well? Because the fans sounded amazing. It, it really doesn't at Selhurst Park, actually. Because of where we sit, we sit right at the far opposite corner of them. For anyone who hasn't been to the stadium, rather than getting one end or a portion of one end, the supporters get um, the bottom section of one of the main stands, so all the way down one side of the pitch. We're literally as far away from them as we can possibly be and it's always quite a decent home crowd at Selhurst Park so you can't hear so much and um, where we are and, and funnily enough I was chatting to my Palace colleague about that he was saying to me I can't hear a huge amount from Leeds and I was saying to him I think that's because of the acoustics you know I think because of where we are it's not as audible um, or not as audible as it should have been but yeah I mean the, the t- typically typically um, good turnout and um, unfortunately they, they didn't have anything delivered for them because it did look early on like it might be Leeds Day yesterday and a bit of transfer news then. Um, you've retweeted this morning, David Ornstein, your colleague at The Athletic, uh, talking about Cody Hackpo, as we keep getting told off for pronouncing it Gakpo, by the way. Um, it's Cody Hackpo. Unlikely, says Ornstein this morning. At least you seem to be sending a lot of players where you need pronunciation to um, <laughs> talk to you. So if we're, if we're going with Hackpo, I'll, um, I'll try and stick to that. Yeah, um, I've been chatting to somebody about him last week and, and I think the feeling is more and more that he's gravitating towards the type of club that you thought he would gravitate towards if he had a good season and if he had a, a good World Cup. He's done that classic thing of remaining where he was, um, teams who went for him, not signing him, Leeds included, and then his form just exploding. He's had a really, really strong start to the season. And it's not that Leeds aren't in, still interested in him. It's not that Leeds wouldn't love to take him. It's not that they're not still talking about it. There just is a general feeling that it's going to be somewhere else. And I think we said that straight after the transfer window closed, didn't we, that if it... If it was a good season for him, then it was hard to see how Leeds were going to stay in the running. It makes me think very much of where this studio is located because you can see the Ferrari garage out of the window and it's a bit like me sitting here saying, I quite fancy one of them. But then you get back outside and you're that Hyundai or whatever it is. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately. Well, not a great weekend then, uh, Phil. What was the journey back like as well? Because obviously the train strikes were were in place. Did you make the, the journey in car, wasn't it, I think? Really, really steady. I don't think I'll ever encounter a city with more 20 mile an hour speed limit zones or more streets that you're not allowed to, to drive on. I got in touch with um, a couple of guys in our office who know London really well to ask them for some parking advice on um, uh, on Friday. And one of them got back to me and said, listen, even aside from parking, there are streets in London and around Sellers Park in the Croydon area where you'll get charged £130 for driving on them, not just parking on them, literally just for driving on them if you're not a resident. And there were quite a few of those, so you have to be bright and you have to have your, your wits about you. But no, the journey was um, the journey was fine. And aside from the first twenty five minutes, probably the best part of the day. Can you pick a man of the match then from that game yesterday? I think to be fair to him, I'm going to give it to Christensen because he's not had an easy start at Leeds. He hasn't he hasn't settled in as quickly as I think we we all hoped he might or, or thought he might. But he had the really difficult job yesterday. You know, managing Zaha is is extremely tough, particularly when Zaha's on form. And 
we saw very little of him in the first half. He did come into it in the second half, as he was always likely to, but there were a couple of really key blocks from Christensen, and without them, Leeds would have been in trouble far earlier than they were. So, yeah, I think, for my money, it goes to him. All right then, Phil, thanks. We'll catch up. It's going to be Friday likely this week, isn't it? Because we are Sunday 2 o'clock for another couple of weeks, so the press conference tends to be Friday um, early afternoon. So we'll get back together and uh, preview Arsenal on Friday and go across uh, any other Leeds United news that happens through the week. In the meantime, at the Phil Hay Show on Twitter, theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod if you want to uh, have a poke around on The Athletic and read what Phil has been writing. And we'll speak to you later in the week. The Phil Hay Show. 